Hey everybody and welcome to Healthy Discourse. It's Emily here and Dr. Wiggy and we are actually recording live from Nashville. We are on a little belated uh, 40th birthday and anniversary trip and having a great time and enjoying the view while we record. So thanks for joining us and I always forget to say this but we very much appreciate our listeners. We love your messages on social media and so forth and would really appreciate leaving a review on whatever listening platform you listen on as well. So thanks for being here. And we've gotten a lot of messages lately asking for Dr. Wiggy to please come on and talk about the BA5 COVID variant. So we are going to talk about that today. And at the end, we're also going to touch on monkeypox as well. So that's what you can look for today. And uh, we're always glad to cover the topics that you request. So here you go. All right. So talk to us. What is BA5? Yeah. So BA5 is the latest uh, mutants in the uh, string of COVID variants that is now uh, the dominant strain throughout the country. And uh, I think it's probably greater than 90% of cases at this point are uh, BA5. BA5 is a subvariant of Omicron, so it does present uh, fairly similarly to, to Omicron, but it is, it is a little bit different. Uh, but yeah, this is the newest, latest and greatest strain of COVID that we're dealing with. Okay, so for the early, late spring, early summer, we've not heard a lot about COVID, which mm-hmm. honestly, that seems to kind of be the trend for the last couple of years. And it seems like as we get closer to like back to school or some may think near an election that um, Dr. Fauci and all of these other people start being on the news talking about COVID and new variants and masking and vaccinate, vaccinate, vaccinate again. And so um, let's just talk about some of the specifics of BA5. Is it something that should be greatly concerning or is it more like a common cold? So yeah, the timing of it is, is interesting, but I think there's, there's not much that uh, can be done to control the timing of, of any of the variants. So, you know, this is, again, this is uh, uh, another one. I don't think that this one is particularly uh, scary uh, because it is a subvariant of COVID or of, uh, of Omicron. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's presenting in fairly similarly as far as, as far as symptoms go. Um, you know, we've been treating this throughout the entire, throughout the, throughout the entire COVID era. And, you know, really since Omicron came around, it's been just a lot easier to deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, so we are seeing more cases though. So I think that's probably why it's becoming in the news again, is that we are seeing higher numbers of cases. And so whenever you start to see the cases start to pick up, you know, it's, it's more newsworthy at the time. So yeah, I mean, cases have, have increased and I think that's, uh, and, and there's a couple of reasons for that. Uh, but the main thing is that, uh, you know, I started off by saying that this is a, uh, this is an evasion uh, mutant or evade mutant, uh, which basically means that it's been able to get around uh, immunity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that includes both natural immunity as well as vaccinated immunity. So yeah, this, it's, uh, it's pretty clever. And so because of that, you're just because you've had COVID before, doesn't mean you can't get it again. Mm-hmm. And just because you've had 
the uh, all the vaccines and all the boosters also doesn't mean that you can't get BA5. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's go first. So what seems to be happening, at least from what I've been reading and hearing, is that there do seem to be more people getting BA5 or getting COVID right now, I guess we should say, that have at least had two shots and many that have had three or four shots. Mm -hmm. Is that what you're seeing or what you're reading about in in your medical research? Well, what's interesting about BA5 is that it it does appear because this is, you know, there's been multiple iterations of mutations, you know, up to this point. I can't even remember how many mutations or how many variants we've had, you know, up to this point. BA5, you know, the fifth one of this BA mutation. So there's been lots of different mutations, but what appears to be you know, and this is what I think the science backs it up, is what appears to be driving these uh, variants and these mutations is this kind of evolutionary pressure. And these the virus has to figure out a way to get around the immunity. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it's, it ceases to exist. So, And that's what viruses do. So viruses figure out a way to evade things that would make them... And make them no, no longer exist, and they're able to mutate really rapidly. Mm-hmm. That's part of the problem with you know some of the approaches that we've had up to this point is that we're basically encouraging the virus to mutate and to evade immunity. Mm-hmm. And so the the idea of us continuing to you know to promote a vaccine that is is obsolete and it's been obsolete for a while actually. Right. So let's just pause there. So it's important to point out that the vaccines and boosters that are being given now are still based upon the original variant. Mm-hmm. Now, I, from what I understand, there is plan that will not require, um, it will not require um, clinical trials to create a more Omicron-specific mm-hmm. booster for whenever, the mm-hmm. fall or whatever. Yeah. Our, but it's important to note that to date, the spike protein, from what we know, because there is no insert in there really talking about it, mm-hmm. is all based on the original strain that has been gone for arguably two years now. Yeah, a long time. So, so you're right. So that, that's an important point to make: is that the vaccines they were developed with the original Wuhan strain in mind. And that's what the spike protein, the mRNA, encodes for, is that original uh, Wuhan strain. So you can get really good antibodies to the Wuhan strain spike protein still. Uh, and so, you know, when you get the, the vaccine, you get the boosters, you do get good antibody production. But again, the problem is that these antibodies do not, do not neutralize and do not, do not get rid of the, uh, the Omicron variants. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there is even some concern about there's this you know concept of antibody dependent, dependent enhancement where it actually doesn't doesn't actually neutralize the virus it can actually encourage the the infectivity right so there is some concern about that and I think that's where and this this has been somewhat predicted is that um, this appears to be in targeting more of a niche um, demographic where you know if you've had COVID before yes you can get you can get Omicron, you can get you can get BA five, you can get the variants, because they do they they mutate rapidly, and so when they mutate enough, you can still you can still get sick. Uh, but what I've been seeing clinically is that if you've had it before and then you get it again, it's really pretty mild. Mm-hmm. You know, for some people, it's again it, cold like or or even less. It's mm-hmm. really pretty really pretty mild, runny nose, sore throat, you know those types of those types of symptoms. 
Um, but what we're seeing is that the, the niche demographic that appears to be starting to accumulate in, it, it does appear to be uh, the vaccinated population is now more susceptible to this, especially if they don't have natural immunity. Mm-hmm. So that's because we've talked about this before about natural immunity provides you to immunity to multiple parts of the virus, right? not just the spike protein. So if you got the original Wuhan strain of COVID and you had antibodies to spike protein, but you also had antibodies to the nucleocapsid, you also had antibodies to the inner workings of, this, of the virus. So you had lots of different antibodies. And so you, you'll, you'll maintain some degree of protection mm-hmm. with natural immunity for, you know, for a long time. There's even some debate that this might be lifelong immunity if, you have, if, you, if you've gotten, uh, gotten it before. Again, that doesn't mean that you can't get, get it again. Right. It just means that you will have less severe cases. And that's what we're seeing for sure. Now with the, the vaccine, again, it doesn't appear to provide any real protection with Omicron or with the, with the variants. Uh, just as likely to get it uh, for sure. And the severity doesn't really appear to be decreased uh, with it. The good news is it's just not a real severe mm-hmm. variant. Mm-hmm. So any of the Omicron variants really just aren't that bad. So, um, you know, the, there doesn't appear to be a need for a lot of protection from, again, from this one. Um, but it doesn't, there's not really much that has provided protection you know, up to this point. Okay. So, um you know, we've we've talked about treatment options with past variants, and it seems like now that um, you know Paxlovid has risen to the top of the um, the accepted antiviral. That I believe in some states, at least in ours, pharmacists can write prescriptions for mm-hmm. Paxlovid. So. Basically, it's kind of over the counter. Essentially, mm-hmm. I mean, you've got to have the prescription. Which, on that note, just because I'm curious, have we ever had a? Is there some? Is there another medication that a pharmacist can write a script for? Not that I'm aware of. Okay. Uh, not without doctor supervision. So I, I do find that that is a fairly slippery slope. You know, mm-hmm. that to to go down is that. If you get a positive test, you get a prescription because, you know, we do have training for a reason to right. be able to supervise medications and treatments and side effects. Sure. You know, because that's the thing I'm most worried about. If you're just going to be handing this out just with any positive test, mm-hmm. who's going to be following up the person if they have side effects or if they have some sort of medication interaction or some, right. some other issue? Well, and, and let's just pause on that for a moment. So Paxlovid is the Pfizer antiviral that is EUA also, so we don't know everything that's in there. But we do know that it interacts negatively with a lot of mm-hmm. drugs. So yeah. pharmacists should be looking at that. Yeah. However, um, what I've been seeing, hearing, is that Paxlovid is maybe helpful initially, but then after the five-day regimen, the symptoms seem to not only come back but sometimes are actually worse and so there's multiple requiring uh multiple rounds of the Mm -hmm. medication and perhaps symptoms actually lasting longer well i mean paxlovid is 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 not a perfect medication uh by any means so there's definitely some weaknesses and some challenges uh with it and one of those is this kind of concept of 
uh, COVID rebound where mm-hmm. they get the treatment and then it gets better for a little bit and then it gets gets bad again. And that's what we saw with uh, Fauci. He mm-hmm. kind of had this Paxlovid rebound. But I will say again, the, the, the most important thing out of with, with Paxlovid at least is that the discussion is now moving towards early treatment, mm-hmm. which should have been the discussion all along, you know. And so now we're finally getting to the point where that is being emphasized because we're starting to see is that again, the vaccines really aren't providing a lot of protection, at least definitely not from getting it. And so early treatment is kind of the, is what we have, is what we have left to really rely on. So Paxlovid is better than nothing. So again, at least, at least we're doing something for people that are, that are getting sick. Again, the way that it's, way it's handed out, the way it's monitored, I don't, Touted, for yeah, lack of a better term. I don't, I don't really love that, but it's better. Again, I do believe it's better than, better than nothing. Uh, the biggest thing you have to look out for with that is really the yeah the medication interactions, which there are a numerous I believe uh, there's interactions twenty three or twenty five if I remember it's it's kind of it's a lot yeah and there's there are side effects too with Paxlovid, so I mean so again it's but early treatment is the is the focus. Uh, what I'll say for with us clinically is that uh, treatment is not as difficult as you know, with Delta especially. Mm-hmm. So with Delta, we used every tool in our toolbox we possibly could to throw at it and with fairly aggressive treatments in order to keep people out of the hospital. And you had to be pretty aggressive and you had to follow up with them and make adjustments and uh, you know, address secondary infections, you know, clotting and inflammation, and all these mm-hmm. other things that were really hard to, to manage. Omicron, like I said, thankfully, it really hasn't been, hasn't been that bad against secondary infections after you've already had COVID really not requiring much. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're giving some extra vitamin C and D. Uh, I've been using a fair bit more of just oral silver. I do like, uh, I've been using that, that, that a lot more. Uh, it has some really good antiviral properties, uh, broad spectrum and really low side effect profile. So it's, so if I've not well. said this on the podcast before, silver is my best friend. And anytime I'm feeling even a little bit under the weather that's my first go-to all the time and it seems to be for me personally across the board whether it's anything from like kind of feeling off stomach wise to Mm -hmm. a cold coming on to a sore throat oh yeah it's just we start start. i just call it it's it's like magical to me so yeah we use a lot lot of silver in our in our household we sure do we go through that and and orally but the 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 beautiful thing about silver is that you really can't develop a resistance to it Mm -hmm. so because it works in a different mechanism it's not just trying to do a really targeted approach like an antibiotic or even certain antivirals uh, this is this is more of a um, electrostatic approach where it's based on charges, which is really pretty neat. Uh, and the the antiviral antibacterial properties of silver well established, been studied for centuries. So yeah, so that that's been what we've been using more. So we have a cool new silver that is uh, water soluble, so really no concern about bioaccumulation. Mm-hmm. So we just take it and you pee it out, uh, but it goes around and, and uh, does help. Help kill, kill things. So we've been using a lot of a Is lot that of the silver. one I helped you find? Um, that's the one that I learned about in the conference. Oh. Yeah. The one, the conference. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah, when you took it because you weren't feeling well. So, yeah. so okay, I'm just going to tell the story because it's funny. Um, I, when we were in Las Vegas for the A4M conference, I had a morning, like I just felt awful. High fever, like shaky through the night, which happens to me very rarely. And 
we hadn't brought silver, but of course we were at the A4M conference and every vendor from a, a, a any integrative anything is there. So Wiggy went down to his class and was like, please bring me back some silver. Will you go buy me some? And he met this vendor and see, so it was God ordained for me to get sick then so that he could bring this amazing new silver into the practice because mm -hmm. they were so sweet to give him a big old bottle for me, which I pretty much used the whole thing while we were there. Maybe took more but than I was, I, I, I did probably, but that's okay. I was better in 24 hours and that was, I was pretty sick, so... Yeah, so so that's really all that we've been we've been really recommending uh, through BA five. You know, have we used some of the other medications? Sure. You know, ivermectin is still still appears to be effective, and that's another nice thing about ivermectin. It's a pretty broad spectrum, mm -hmm. so it helps in multiple areas of the treatment. I do have a question. Um, you know, well, people are back to traveling. We were in an airplane. You know, whatever. You're, we've been around a lot of people. Um, do you still find that when you know you're in a and this is beyond COVID when you're in a an environment where you're around a whole bunch of people that the nasal rinses is that still something mm. just as far as general wellness is a good idea or not? Yeah, really? I don't know. I've, I've I've had mixed feelings about the nasal rinses for a while. I, I think there's actually good evidence that it does help prevent uh, COVID, uh, especially the. Uh, diluted iodine solution right. that Dr. McCullough uh, really champions and, and the research does support it so it is it's actually a really good uh, option for um, I think for preventing and for decreasing severity the only issue I have especially with uh, things like iodine is that it's such a that does kill just about everything mm -hmm. and you know I think that having a healthy biome in the nasal passages too mm -hmm can be helpful to help crowd out, you know, other things. Right. So, you know, I haven't, I haven't jumped full, full force into the nasal irrigation concept. I think that the study support that, it, that it helps. Right. I'm just a little bit, like I said, not sure about what it does to the, to the uh, flora okay. in the nasal passages long term. So perhaps it's something that let's pretend that you have very close contact with somebody that got sick like two days later mm -hmm. maybe as a yeah, occasional a once yeah. but yeah, not necessarily every time you go out in public no i think occasional is probably the best option gotcha. or if you start first seeing some symptoms i mm -hmm. think that that's when it right. makes sense i do have a little bit of concern again using something like iodine on a daily basis sure because it will wipe out all the good bacteria as well and like i said i think there's benefit just like we have bacteria in our gut we have it on our skin right we have it in our nose we have it in our mouth right and so similar yeah. to taking an antibiotic and taking multiple rounds of antibiotics that can wipe out all of your good gut bacteria mm -hmm. perhaps this is something that will wipe out all of our good nasal bacteria that helps us to fight off well yeah because you people don't think about this you know this is a bit of a tangent but just like uh you know the mouthwash was really encouraged for uh, for some people, for kind of this early kind of prophylaxis therapy. And like, yeah, it kills pretty much everything. But I think that actually can cause more harm in some ways because mm -hmm. it does kill all the, all the good bacteria. 
And we need our good bacteria for proper digestion. We also need it for nitric oxide production. And nitric oxide is super important when it comes to clotting risk. Mm -hmm. So that's why I'm saying there's, there's, it's not a one-size-fits-all, just kill everything. Right. You know, we don't want to just kill everything. We want to have healthy bacteria. We want to have a good balance between things. Uh, so, yeah, so I think, you know, all these things we just need to be considering what is the best approach for each person. So it should be individualized. And I think that using shotgun approaches, we have to be somewhat careful with. Wiggy really wants to do a podcast on nitric oxide. We'll do that sometime soon. Well, I think it's important. No, it is important. And most and most people, that probably sounds like lethal to most people. So we'll, we will do, definitely do that. Um, so to summarize... BA5 is a, an, a mutation of Omicron that continues and for most people is not lethal. We do seem to see more vaccinated people getting sick simply because that spike protein is not helpful to um, the, the, the spike protein that's in there now and there's not a, the same robust immunity as there mm -hmm. is natural immunity. One thing we did not mention is, and, and I'm not sure if you have good data to go by on this either, what about if someone's had maybe two vaccines and natural immunity? Mm -hmm. Are we seeing those people get more? Or is that something you're not yeah, sure about? Well, it's hard because it is hard to control those variables. Right, there aren't really good studies on people that have had, you know, natural immunity. There's, unfortunately, there's not. There should be better studies on that. Uh, there's not studies on mixed immunity mm -hmm. where you have a natural infection and then you have the vaccine on top of it. I'm not sure w which, how it's going to pan out in the mm -hmm. long run. I mean, I think natural immunity has won the race, you know, at this point. Right. Uh, everyone, everyone, well, <laughs> everyone should agree that natural immunity is a better immunity. You know, there's a debate about does it make sense to you know to to just use that and not not talk about the vaccine that's a different debate but as far as what provides better immunity natural immunity is by far superior sure. uh, than, than the vaccine. well and i will say this natural immunity also doesn't come with all the risks of the vaccines that even though we're not supposed to talk about that these vaccines have significant risks that i think we're going to be finding out for years to come mm -hmm. if we I think other countries have better data on that and I'm hoping that here in the United States we will allow ourselves to understand better some of these um, these events that are happening that seem to be quite outside of the realm of what we're used to especially when you read interviews from um, EMTs that have been working for 25 years and have never seen 20 to 40 year olds experiencing uh, cardiac events like they have over the last year and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I hope that we will have the desire to further research sure. these things and not just push them away and say, oh, we don't know what happened. Yeah. So that's my personal hope. Sure. But, I mean, mm -hmm. I think with everything you are coming out of any sort of pandemic we should always do a good you know retro analysis what mm -hmm. did we do right what did we do wrong you know looking at i think the best statistic you know looking at, at back over the past couple of years and comparing different countries is looking at overall mortality right that's the best statistic and that can help us determine again where did we what did we do right and what did we do wrong 
And I think, again, history will, will, will tell us that we did a lot of things wrong. Yeah. Um, a lot of doctors did a lot of things right, but there was, you know, there was, there was definitely, um, definitely mistakes made along the way. But, you know, again, that's, that's part of it. We, we learn from, from our mistakes and we get better and we continue to try to help as many people as we can. Awesome. All right. So I want to end on monkeypox because the who, right? The who mm -hmm. just WHO, yep. the WHO has declared that it's what was it? a I can't it's remember. A, I think it said a global health emergency, global health emergency. Okay. So I thought that it would be really helpful and important to talk about this study that was just published on Thursday of this week um, in the New England Journal of Medicine. So it's called Monkeypox Virus Infection in Humans Across 16 Countries. This is from April to June of 2022. So they reviewed 528 confirmed infections from 43 clinics in 16 countries. 98% of the infected were homosexual, 75% were white, 41% also had HIV. They averaged 38 years old and transmission occurred through sexual contact in almost all 95% of the cases. Almost all 95% of the patients presented with a rash. Most 64% had fewer than 10 lesions. Um, and this talks just more about the lesions as we go on, which isn't necessary for our conversation. And I'm wondering your thoughts on is this a new global health emergency or do we need to be a better job do a better job in our public health departments making sure that vulnerable populations are aware of their risk? Yeah, I mean this this is not a global health public emergency the way that they're making it out to be. Again, there's only been a handful of cases across the world and this does not spread like COVID does. Mm -hmm. you know, this is this is not uh, aerosolized. This really is close skin-to-skin -skin contact. Mm -hmm. that, that this is primarily spreading. So yes, there is a more vulnerable population that should be more careful, you know, just be aware of, aware of things. But again, this is not something that is gonna, gonna cause a huge public health emergency at this point. And I think it's, I think it's a little irresponsible for the WHO to be making that declaration when when the data doesn't support that. And in, in some ways it feels like, you know, the, the boy that cried wolf, we have to be careful about just crying emergency in all circumstances, unless it's a true a true emergency here. So uh, yeah, I, I, th I think we have to be careful about um, overplaying our hands sometimes about, about calling things uh, bigger deals than, than they are, mm -hmm. uh, because it, it somewhat can make people feel less like they can trust you less if they feel like this is being pushed more than it needs to be. Right. And, and arguably, you know, I think that when we call everything an emergency, no, like it becomes, nobody pays attention anymore. Right. So Some just say. like, you, no, I know that's what you're saying. So it's like, Okay, emergency. Like, okay, I, there's emergency vehicles. Like, what's the emergency? We become very um, just uh, cynical around the whole idea of emergency, especially. I mean, there is such lack 
of trust in mm-hmm. all of our health there systems is. from top to bottom. Everyone from these ABC letter agencies down to primary care physicians. I mean, yeah. I'm not, certainly not talking about Wiggy and his practice, but I can't tell you how many people are so flabbergasted that they can't go see their doctor when they're sick. Mm-hmm. Like, since when is this a thing? And so there's just this apathy toward healthcare as it is. Yeah, and when sure. we start calling everything an emergency, it's just going to start creating eye rolls, in my opinion. Yeah, the healthcare system has a lot of work to do as far as repairing trust in the system because it really has been severely damaged you know, over the, over the past couple of years. And I don't know if it can even regain the level of trust that there was. I think there's so much distrust of everything now mm-hmm. uh, and so much use of, you know, fear. And, you know, I think pe- people feel manipulated in, in a lot of ways. They feel like they were played in a lot of ways. So I think that there's a lot of, lot of mistrust. Well, and I think even what we were talking about earlier, for example, these cardiac events and that kind of thing, most people bring that up to their doctor and they say, oh, that's not real. And it's just everything is very dismissive. Mm. So that makes me feel as a patient as if I'm being treated as if I'm less than, I'm uninformed, I don't know what I'm talking about, and you don't care about my concerns. Well, if that's the case, then why am I coming here and paying you to be, essentially, I'm a client, I'm a patient, right? Um, And so there's much work to be done, and I'm very grateful for the physicians and advanced practice providers that that we know personally and afar Mm -hmm. that have put their necks on the line to help people understand that that's not how it has to be yeah i mean at this point with the with people just getting sicker and having more issues you know it's it's for a number of reasons Mm -hmm. but man people need a lot more help than than they used to yeah. And for to be a good doctor these days, you have to have time with each person. That's one of the key things. It takes a lot of time. Yeah. You have to be able to listen. And you have to be able to consider all the possibilities. Mm-hmm. Just to dismiss something, that's actually relatively easy. Oh, well, it can't be that, so I don't have to worry about it. Right. But when you say, okay, what could, could it be this? Could it be that? You know, what, are the, what are the options here? And weighing all those different things and coming up with the most logical explanation, especially when you look at timing and those types of things, then you say, okay, well, now, now, now this is most likely the scenario. What do I do about it? Mm-hmm. And so it takes a lot of brain power. It takes a lot of time. And that's where I do think that the traditional medical system is not set up to deal with this, the complexity of patients these days. Right. Patients are so much more complex, even in the last 10 years. Well, people are sicker. They're sicker. There's, the, there's more diseases. There's more, co- more comorbidities, like diseases affecting other diseases. Mm-hmm. And so, like, you know, just again, we're seeing reactivation of certain things. We're mm-hmm. seeing autoimmune diseases that are worse. So it's, it's a highly complex patient now that the primary care doctors are having to deal with. Right. And so, and you have to look at all the different possible causes mm-hmm. uh, to get people better. So, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a hard job. And I don't anticipate getting any easier anytime soon. No. Well, and on that note, as we finish, I think it's really important to ask ourselves why. Why are people so much sicker? Why is there disease on top of disease? What is it that we're doing as a society mm-hmm. that is making us so unwell that I actually read this to you earlier, like um, 40% of 
the elder the elderly population mm-hmm. takes five or more medications yeah. every day. Yeah. It's like twenty percent of the population. This number might not be right. Is um, clinically depressed. <laughs> more than that, I think. You said twenty percent. Okay, maybe I'm wrong. More than that. Well, we are a heavy, heavily medicated. Um, quick to jump to the pill for an ill Mm -hmm. society that doesn't ask questions about what, how did we get here and how can we make this better? And that's one thing I'm grateful for. I think coming out of COVID is that I do think there are a lot of people that have started to ask those questions or at least realize this doesn't all add up or make mm-hmm. sense. So anyway, yeah. any closing thoughts? No, no. I mean, it's it, it, there's definitely an interesting time to be a doctor mm-hmm. and we'll do our best to keep everyone up to date with all the changes. Uh, but I'll just kind of leave on some good news and hope again, this, this appears to be overall things are getting better. Severity of cases are not real scary at this point. Treatment is relatively easy, and there are different options available. So, yeah, I think that overall things are things are improving, at least from that standpoint. Yeah. Well, excitingly, um, Wiggy and I will be with our good friend, Dr. McCullough, in two weeks. And we are hoping to get him here on the podcast. And I'm hoping it will be just a friend-to-friend conversation because he has become a friend to us and um, so if you have any friend questions that you would like for us to talk to Dr. McCullough about message us those too and thank you so much for listening and we'll catch up with you next time